Welcome to Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, the founder of Emergent Women Coaching and a woman on a mission to help other heart-centered women leaders and entrepreneurs alter their experience of business and life from one of sacrifice and burnout to unadulterated joy and freedom. This is the show that gives you the inspiration and permission to break all the rules. We help you tap into your intuition, your zone of genius, and creativity to give you the confidence and clarity to do things differently. And we give you the tools and stories that will inspire you to rejuvenate your spirit, innovate how you lead and do business, strengthen your core identity, and connect deeply to yourself so that you emerge as the next powerful version of you. Ready to dive in? Let's go. Hello, welcome back to the show. I'm super excited to be joined today by Morgan Adams, who is a holistic sleep coach for women who struggle with getting a good night's sleep consistently. Her goal is to help women feel better and live better, and the key to both begins with a good night's sleep. Morgan is also a former insomniac who spent almost a decade using prescription sleeping pills, despite knowing that her overall sleep quality suffered. She's also a two-time breast cancer survivor who advocates for a lifestyle of disease prevention and integrating holistic strategies for cancer treatment. So, Morgan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here with you. Yeah, we have layers and layers that we can dig into in this conversation. What's ironic is last night I've had I had one of the worst nights of sleep I've had in probably months, and we're having this conversation, so this is very timely. Yeah. <laughs> very timely. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I love to start, you know, and I know you have quite a story and have have multiple things to your story, but with whatever aspect of how your journey has brought you here to really teaching on and focusing on sleep, because it is so important and it's something a lot of us struggle with. Yeah. Well, my, my sleep story kind of began um, in my mid thirties, I had a personal crisis come up and it unfortunately created an episode of insomnia for me. And the kind of insomnia that I was dealing with is called sleep onset insomnia. So what that means is it took me forever to get to sleep and forever, I'm, you know, close to two hours on a good night would be how long it would take me to get to sleep. And if anyone is listening who has that struggle, you can imagine it's extremely anxiety provoking and annoying and disruptive to your life. So not really knowing what to do, I consulted my doctor and I was given a prescription for Ambien. And I did take the Ambien uh, for eight years. So quite a while, quite a while. It did actually help me get to sleep. So it, it reduced that time lying in bed, tossing and turning. However, the consequences the next day were very marked. And that kind of played out with a lot of brain fog in the morning, grogginess. Um, I didn't feel like completely alert until like close to lunchtime. So I, I missed a big chunk of my day of productivity. And in fact, it kind of created some stress at work because I was in a job where I had to quickly uh, write content um, if there was a crisis. So at any moment, I could be asked to like just bang out a piece. And there were many days where I was just like, uh, I can't barely type. So it was, it was an issue. And um, so about seven, eight years into this ambient situation, I met my now husband, we were newly dating. And he said to me one night, you know what, when you take that sleeping pill, you kind of act like a zombie and it freaks me out. 
And that was like, whoa. I mean, he said, you know, it was said all with love, but it was a wake up call to me to kind of examine why I was continuing to take these pills despite the, those unpleasant side effects the next day. What I ended up deciding to do was take myself off the pills on my own. I don't recommend doing that for anybody who is taking the pills because uh, it can be very difficult. Um, and I do believe that you need to partner with your prescribing provider who will hopefully give you a tapering down schedule or some kind of plan to get yourself off the pills. I also think it's very helpful to lock arms with someone like a sleep coach for that accountability and support because it's it's not an easy journey. Uh, fortunately, I was able to get through it okay and got my sleep pretty decent, you know, and I slept decently for quite a few years. Wasn't a, a stellar sleeper, but I was content for the most part with my sleep. And then there was a plot twist. The plot twist was March of 2020, which think back a few years ago, uh, the world turned upside down and nobody knew what was going on. And it created um, some sleep issues again for me. And I was very concerned because I did not want to return back to full-blown insomnia. So I bought myself an aura ring to track my sleep. I started to look online to see what kinds of sleep tips I could find. And fortunately, I was able to get back on track. And as I was discovering this new information about sleep and what was helping me, I just started organically sharing it on Facebook. And I came to find out that a lot of people in my own circle were struggling with sleep around the same time. And so late in 2020, I just had this revelation that I needed to share this information with more people and help more people get better sleep. And that is the moment when I decided to become a holistic sleep coach for women. So it was kind of a long and winding road to get where I am, but um, this is what I do. And I am about all things sleep and holistic health. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And yeah, <laughs> March, 2020 was a change. I, I shared on this show at one point, you know, I, for a while there. And I think we all did. Like I designed my entire day around the governor going live at a certain time, you know, to report on all the, the stuff. And right. I finally realized that like, this is not healthy and it's not helping me sleep, but it's not, you know, all of these things are, are being affected. So let's, let's, and I shared with you, you know, I've only had really one other conversation on sleep in 200 episodes on here. So, um, let's get into the nitty gritty. Cause I think like we recognize that sleep's important. But I also, especially in like the high achieving woman, that is a lot of who we talk to on this show. It's one of the first things that we let go. It's like, you know, we're going to stay awake to do. I'm really guilty of staying up too late reading. I know others who are, you know, they feel like they're, they're, they get their second wind and so they can't go to sleep. And so I'm curious, I know you talked about some about sleep windows, but like, what, what are we aiming for? What is normal supposed to be? How should we be sleeping? Yeah. So what is recommended for you know, healthy sleep is seven to nine hours is the recommended. Mm -hmm. There are some people who need a little bit less than seven hours. You know, there are people who do okay with six. There are not that many people who do okay with six, but they are out there. Yeah. And there are some people who need a little bit more than nine, but seven to nine is kind of the, the window. Um, you hear a lot about eight hours of sleep, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, Although it's well-intended, I, I often kind of cringe when I hear, you know, the sleep tips saying you must get your eight hours of sleep because in reality, 
um, most people don't actually need a full eight hours. You know, you've got some people who yeah. need less. So I always like to 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 kind of gently correct that uh, assumption that you know we don't all need eight hours. You need to really find your own kind of sleep sweet spot, if you will. Um, so there's the that's the quantity issue, and what I think is actually just as important, maybe more important than quantity is quality of sleep. Um, that's extremely important. And I'll, I'll just share a couple points on the quality. Um, a, a few uh, parameters we want to look at. Um, first of all, our latency, which is basically how long it takes us to get to sleep. Um, you don't want to be like me in my days of insomnia where it took two hours. That's you know way too long. So a healthy uh, time to get to sleep would be, you know, 10 to 20 minutes is like a, a good time frame. I, whenever I say to some people, I'm a sleep coach. Um, one common thing I'll get is this is kind of funny is they'll be like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a great sleeper. I, I literally fall asleep the second my head hits the pillow. And I'm like, Ooh, interesting. That could be a little bit of a red flag. So I'll explain why is, um, if you literally, are falling asleep the second your head hits a pillow with it, like before five minutes of get lying down, it could be potentially because you're sleep deprived. So that's, that's kind of a, something to keep, to, to watch out for. Um, other than the, you know, the latency issue, you want to be um, looking out for how often you're waking up at night. Uh, another myth I kind of like to, to shatter is that people think, oh, you must sleep through the night, the entire night. Uh, in actuality, we have several wake-ups during the night. In fact, we pretty much wake up briefly after each sleep cycle is complete. And most of us don't even remember waking up because if it's within like a few minutes, we're just oblivious. We're, we're just not aware. Um, so one to two wake-ups that you're aware of at night is totally fine. But if you're waking up a ton and it's disrupting your sleep, that is a sign of poor sleep quality. And then another aspect of sleep quality is really sort of a subjective measure. And that's really how you feel in the morning. Do you know, do you feel rested? Do you feel, um, do you feel relaxed? Do you feel like you have, you know, the energy you need to get through your day? And one thing I will share is that, um, when you wake up is not the best time to assess that. So, and the reason why is because right when we wake up, we have something called sleep inertia. And that's basically like that kind of sleep groggy, sleep drunk feeling we have. And it usually takes most people half hour, maybe up to an hour to kind of shake that off. So the, the, a good, you know, rule of thumb is to kind of examine how you're feeling around 10 or 11 a.m. That's when most people are most alert. So, um, you know, just kind of keeping a check on subjectively how you're feeling is a great way to like get a get a um, hold on your sleep quality. Those are all really good. And I know you um, mentioned the aura ring, which I would probably be lost without mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got one. I, I got one. Uh, a couple. <laughs> Well, I've been out, it's a year and a half now, but you know, for those listening, one of the things that is really cool and I, just as a heads up, I don't like have any kind of association with them besides that I use it and I love it and I have $50 coupon codes if anybody wants one, but <laughs> you know, it, it tells you those things. And so, you know, I know like I'm pretty good at pushing to being too tired because my sleep latency will be fat, you know, faster than five minutes and it'll show me 
Like last night I had these huge chunks of being awake because I was legitimately awake, but it, you know, it just gives you all this data. That's pretty cool. So I just wanted to throw that in there. If anyone's like, I don't know how to, you know, what I found as a woman completely disconnected from myself and constantly living in my head, like tools like this are what helped me actually engage with my body and be like, Oh, that's how I'm feeling. And this is why. And you know, these are the things yeah. that, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I agree. I don't know I if you have sleep, any input, but yeah. Well, my take on sleep trackers is is this. I think they're a really great tool for most people to um, check in and run little experiments. And you know, sometimes you can see clearly like why you didn't get enough sleep. Like maybe you look at your data, your readiness, and your sleep aren't good, and you're like, hmm, why? I wonder why. And you can think about things you did the day before. Um, you know, did you eat late? Did you eat too late? Did you have alcohol too late? Did you push, you know, did you push your caffeine into the afternoon? So you can, you can really um, have an objective way to look at what's going on with your sleep. Um, So it's, it's a great tool for people who are able to look at the data, and then take those insights and kind of change their behavior. So it's a behavior, behavioral change Mm -hmm. tool, where the sleep trackers get kind of tricky is uh, with folks that I work with mostly people who have insomnia. It's a little slippery slope having a sleep tracker if you have insomnia, because typically people with insomnia have a lot of anxiety about their sleep. And when they see that their REM score or their deep sleep score is um, lower than they would like, it makes them anxious or they get too bogged down in the numbers. And one thing I will, will share just across the board about sleep trackers is that that deep sleep score and that REM score, that's generally about 60% accurate. So we really have to take that reading with a grain of salt and not freak out if we notice, you know, a couple nights of low REM or deep. Um, I w- to your point about the aura, um, I don't have any affiliation yet. It could be coming, but at this moment, okay. there's no affiliation. Um, but there is a new algorithm that Aura has rolled out and I am in the beta version of that. So what that means is that they have tightened up their technology or their whatever to make it so much more accurate for deep and REM phase uh, reporting. So it's now up to like 80 plus percent accurate. Yeah. Um, That's, and I'm using the beta as well. You are really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you compare the two, like you can really Uh see the difference. <laughs> big yeah, way. it so. really, it can, it can be humbling because I was running around going, Whoa, I've got 30% deep sleep most nights and this is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> if you look, you know, you get a little cocky. Uh, then I yeah. um, saw that, you know, in reality, my deep sleep was more like 10 to 13%. I'm like, Oh, this is quite different, but you know, yeah. the, but I, but how I translated that into my daily life. It's like, I was just like, I don't care because I still feel great. I still Mm -hmm. have energy. So who really cares what the numbers say? So it's really, you have to kind of tap into the subjective part somewhat. Yeah. Rather than be completely dictated by what the ring tells you. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think one of the benefits that I found for me is there's been days where my readiness score is like, great. And I don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for those listening, you know, it, it, takes your sleep and your previous day activity and 
a couple other things, your body temperature and, and things like that, and then gives you a readiness day for the score or for the day. And, you know, there's days where it's like, yeah, let's like move and let's do stuff. And I'm like, I'm exhausted. So what did yeah. I do wrong here? <laughs> like, yeah. What am I missing? And so that can be, you know, a helpful insight in just learning your subjective cues too. Definitely. So, yeah. Um, anyways, enough about Aura. <laughs> One of those tools that I love, but it's all good. Um, you know, I'm curious because I, I, I've learned stuff in school, but it's been a long time ago and clients will ask me. And so I'm curious for those listening, you know, like there's been a lot of, I've always learned that you should be asleep by 11 in order for your liver to rest and all this stuff is, has any of that information changed or is there like a window where you really want to be going to sleep today? Cause we've come so far from where we like got up with the sun and went to bed with the sun. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. It's a really good question. So I think the answer to that is it really depends on your chronotype. You know, you really have to honor, are you an early bird? Are you a night owl? And there's ways you can kind of test that online. There's something called a morningness, eveningness questionnaire that you can take online. And it's actually almost as accurate as a genetic test because there are several different genetic mm-hmm. markers that that show us what our chronotype may be. So if anyone really wants to truly know, I would it's called morningness morning this evening this questionnaire or the MEQ. Okay. Okay. So um so if you are, you know, an, an early bird, your your window to go to bed might be nine-ish. You know, if you're a mm-hmm. night owl, your window might be midnight or later. Um, so some recent data that I that I heard a couple weeks ago from Dr. Am- Andrew Huberman, who is just mm-hmm. brilliant with all the, his sleep information. He had an um, interview with Dr. Gina Poe, a sleep doctor, and one of the real important take-home messages was that we want to be, it's not really as much like what time you go to bed for the most part, it's how consistent you are with your time to go to bed. Because the premise yeah. that this doctor laid out was that um, our human growth hormone is released in deep sleep. And so if you can keep that consistent bedtime window the same, you're ensuring this a, a consistent release of that human growth hormone that's happening in deep sleep. Interesting. So okay. um so if people are you know curious about what time, well it's not it's not necessarily again you want to go with your chronotype, but try to re- remain as consistent as you can within you know that that bedtime window. So yeah. Um just another little tip is that, you know, I, I recommend that people not necessarily say, okay, every night I'm going to go to bed at this time, because you want to really go to get into bed when you're feeling those sleepiness cues. I think a lot yeah. of people make the mistake of picking a bedtime. that's like a little bit too early for their chronotype. And so mm-hmm. like, let's just say you are a night owl, like, and you're naturally wired to be sleepy at at midnight, but you've heard quote unquote through whatever that you should go to bed at nine. Well, you could potentially get in bed and then lie there tossing and turning for three hours. And that could lead you into insomnia and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, some hardship. So, um, so listening to your body's cues about when you're sleepy is really important. Um, and another just sort of a side side topic uh, about bedtime is really, really important to have a consistent wake time. That's extremely important yeah. because that is a real huge regulator of our circadian rhythm. 
And when we have that consistent anchored wake time, we're more likely to become sleepy around the same time each night. So it's kind of like as a default for waking up at the same time, you're kind of getting sleepy around the same time each night, not every single night, but you've got that kind of, you kind of know when to expect it. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. So I have two questions around the chronotype thing. Um, cause I get these kind of questions from my clients a lot. For example, I have one client that she's a night owl. She's a professor. She does her best work in like her own writing and creation between like 11 and one, <laughs> 11 PM and 1 AM. Um, her son plays hockey and often has to be at the rink at 5.45 or 6 a.m. and he doesn't drive yet. So in those scenarios where maybe your chronotype has you going to bed later, but life dictates that you need to wake up earlier, like, is it possible to shift your chronotyping a bit or are you screwed? Well, no, you're not really screwed. I mean, there's, there's things you could do, um, a little bit too much to get into the weeds in this conversation, but there are certain, um, protocols that you can follow using melatonin and that's Mm -hmm. kind of like a different topic, but, but there, you know, there are some ways around it, um, mainly with melatonin or light therapy, you can kind of shift a little bit, but, um, for this particular client of yours, you know, at least this is sort of like a temporary situation and it's not like every single day. So she's got that going for her at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not every single day after March. (laughs) Yeah. We'll be happy happy after hockey season's over, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then my other question, because I I hear this from a lot of women I work with, it's like, I've never been a morning person, but I'm going to join the 5 a.m. club or whatever it is. So to those individuals, like I, I like this idea of this, you know, quiz or test. And there's the reality of how much of our schedule we can shift and control and within our jobs and our families and everyone else's wake up schedules and all that. But, yeah. you know, is it worth trying to become a morning person or should we embrace when we're naturally awakened? Well, I'm, I'm more inclined to say, just embrace kind of what your chronotype is. But if yeah. you do feel like, I mean, the, the sad thing about our society is that the, we're, we kind of operate on a morning lark schedule. I mean, if you think about like work, like, especially with school, I feel very sorry for teenagers because teenagers have mm-hmm. like a later, later chronotype naturally. And we literally yeah. are, we are waking our teenagers up too early for their chronotype. And it's, it's starting to really affect them and like accident, car accident rates. And um, so I think that if you, well, back to the topic, like we're just rewarding people who have like morning chronotypes with, you know, early school start mm-hmm. times, early work, early meeting. Um, it's just, it's, I feel, I feel I'm, I am an early bird. But I do have so much empathy for those who are night owls and um, get their best work done later in the day. And they're not really in a, a, their brain isn't wiring uh, properly at 8 a.m. to do work. But um, if you do want to become a little bit of a more morning type person, you know, you could try gradually uh, moving your wake up time back, you know, just like by 15 minute increments. Another tip would be to get that sunlight in the morning as soon as you, as you're able to, and potentially exercise. 
and also have like something to look forward to, like, like kind of a reward for you getting up. Like, you know, I'm going to have a special kind of coffee or I'm going to meet my neighbor for a walk or whatever, just, you know, to have something kind of motivating you to do that. But I would say not to completely turn yourself around, but like subtle shifts you can manage pretty well. I just would say for the most part, respect your chronotype. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And honestly, it's half the reason I'm homeschooling my son at this point, who's almost 10, but he's never been a morning kid. Like he naturally wakes up between nine and 10, even if we go to bed early and high school is going to be horrible because they start at 7 30 AM. So we're going to see, see how that goes. But yeah, I find the the high school kids, I know a lot of my listeners have kids in that, that age range is interesting. Like they actually require even more sleep than they did when they were younger. And yet we, you know, they stay up late and do all the things they're not supposed to do and they're starting school early. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I have teenage stepsons and it's, yeah, it, we'll just leave it at that. Um, so shifting topics a little bit, and I don't know how much insight or, or shares you have in this realm. You know, a lot of the women that listen to the show are, and my clients are in that age of perimenopause where we've got the hat flashes and we've got like, how do, I know you speak a lot to midlife stuff. So how do we navigate like the things we don't have control over that are impacting our sleep as well and what things can kind of help there yeah. if you have any ideas? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky time of life and I am right there with everyone kind of dealing with it as well. Um, so I think a lot of women in midlife are, I think we're kind of part of this sandwich generation. We have like a lot of things coming at us. We have maybe children at home. We may be caring for aging parents. We also might be at the top of our career game. So there's a lot coming at us and that means a lot of anxiety and worry. So one of the things that I work with my clients on is really addressing all of those worries and anxieties, not necessarily at night, because a lot of people think, okay, it's time to meditate at night. But And while that's great, I feel like we need to really start managing that anxiety and worry from the moment our feet hit the ground in the morning. And so I'm a, I'm a big proponent of what I call mindfulness snacks. So it's taking little breaks throughout the day, you know, maybe a few as you are able to five, 10 minutes here, a walk. Um, even, I, I even did some content the other day about, you know, if you're so busy and everyone has to go to the bathroom several times a day, you could use your bathroom break to do some deep breathing. I mean, like you just kind of take it when you can and try to do something that brings you joy during the day. And um, I find that when people start to have a little bit more, they create a little bit more space for themselves during the day, their nights go more smoothly and they're able to get to sleep better. Um, so that's one thing I would suggest for people to look into those mindfulness snacks. Uh, another thing that I would call attention to would be alcohol consumption. I know a lot of women, um, you know, in midlife got very stressed out during the pandemic Mm -hmm. (laughs) and rightfully so. And a lot of women have turned to alcohol as a self-soothing agent. And one of the things about alcohol in midlife is that we don't process that alcohol as well as we used to in our twenties and thirties. And 
that alcohol can really, really disrupt our sleep. So I really like to, you know, ask my clients about, you know, I have them do a journal and, you know, if their sleep is disrupted by two glasses of wine while watching TV at night, well, that's kind of a low hanging fruit right there. You know, let's, if you're not willing to give the alcohol up, well, what about cutting back or what about shifting your alcohol time to like four or five o'clock a little bit earlier so that it's not impacting your sleep. Um, And then I think the final thing that I would really like to bring to light with midlife women is that the rates of sleep apnea are so much higher than they are at other times of life. And this gets overlooked. In fact, I heard a statistic recently that said that 90% of women who have sleep apnea go undiagnosed. 90. That's a lot of women who are out there being suffocated at night, basically. So um, what I have found with some of my clients is that their sleep disruptions are caused by sleep apnea episodes. And we we discover that during the coaching. Um, and so I, re- I really think that if a woman is having trouble sleeping, if she's waking up with headaches, that's a, that's a pretty telltale sign of potential apnea. If she's having to urinate several times a night, that's also an indicator is really get, get a sleep breathing test done. Um, you can pay for them out of pocket or you can maybe insurance covers them. There may be like a couple hundred dollars, but I think it's really important to address that and test to make sure that you don't have a sleep breathing issue because if you leave that untreated, sleep apnea, there's some pretty, you know, devastating physical consequences, you know, metabolically, cardiovascularly. So, um, you know, those are just some things that I, I like to kind of shine the light on for midlife women relating to sleep. Really good. That's all very helpful, I think. And, you know, just to connect some of the dots, because I talk about hormones so much on the show, like one of the biggest killers of progesterone, which tends to like too low of progesterone is part of what's causing hot flashes as you're going through menopause because all of your hormones are decreasing. But stress, if you're under a lot of stress, feeling anxious, all of that progesterone actually gets cor- converted into cortisol. So the more you can take those, mind, like that's, that's what's happening there. So the more you can take some of these things in hand, you know, they can see so simple, seem so simple, like a mindfulness breaker snack. I like that term mindfulness snack. That's great. Yeah. Um, but those are the things that actually make the biggest difference in terms of your experience. Like it's, it's not just that, you know, we're going through perimenopause and it's going to suck for anywhere from, you know, one to 16 years is the longest time frame that I've heard that that can be a thing. And, you know, you do have some, some things that you can control and a lot of it has to, yeah do with tuning in. Yeah. So. Well, and, I, and just one final note on that is that, you know, there are a lot of things that we can do, a few of which I mentioned, but sometimes no matter what we do, and I'm going to, I'm going to use myself as a case study right now, because I'm, yeah, I'm totally, I'm to- <laughs> totally open to this. I haven't shared this on a podcast yet, but I, um, as a sleep coach, you know, obviously understand how to get good sleep. I practice really mm-hmm. great sleep hygiene. I'm almost 53. And for the past several months, I have been experiencing early morning awakenings, like four or four thirty, hmm. and that is actually quite common uh, for someone in perimenopause to start experiencing those early morning awakenings. And 
I really had a strong feeling that I needed to look into hormone replacement therapy. So I approached my doctor and she did give me a prescription for compounded progesterone pills from a compounding okay. pharmacy. And I'm telling you that it's, you know, I've been on it for almost a month and I've had far fewer early morning awakenings than I had before I started taking it. So not, not to, you know, like give medical advice or anything like you talk to your doctor, but, but I just want to throw that out there because if you're doing quote, all the things to help your sleep, but it's not budging, Mm -hmm. like have that conversation with your healthcare provider and see if potentially, um, hormone replacement therapy might be something to consider. Yeah. And there's a time and a place for it. You know, I'm very like you, very holistically focused. And it's like when you are doing everything and nothing is changing, that can be an indication that it's a time and a place. Doesn't have to be forever. Doesn't mean, but like sometimes we need the assistance to get our body to function again. This is similar with thyroid. I finally came to this kind of, and I don't, just for everyone listening, you all know this, but I don't give any advice around prescriptions or any of that stuff. It's not under my hat, but you know, you have options that like we provide some of the holistic stuff and that route in Western medicine is still there. I'd like to think that someday all doctors will understand it better, but if you can find the ones that really do, then, you know, do some of the compounding and more bioidentical stuff, it can really make a difference and help you Mm -hmm. with the transition. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, is there any last tips or things that we've missed in this conversation that you feel like women definitely need to know around sleep or we've covered a lot of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, we have covered a lot. Um, Let's see, I would just say, you know, a couple of like, one of my favorite sleep tips that I'll kind of leave you with is um, the value of morning sunlight in the morning. A lot of people miss this. And it has actually made a huge impact on my sleep and my client's sleep. And so what this is, is really the importance of, you know, as soon as you can, upon awakening, going outside without sunglasses and getting light exposure for about 10 minutes. And the reason why you want to wear, not wear your sunglasses. And I see this every morning I walk my dog and all the, you know, a lot of other ladies in the neighborhood have their cute sunglasses on. And I'm like, we should take them off. The reason why is because when the sunlight hits your retina, it sends a signal to your suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is your circadian pacemaker. And when that happens, there's this beautiful cascade of triggerings of hormones and neurotransmitters. So for example, it boosts your cortisol for energy. It shuts off your melatonin from the night before It boosts your serotonin. So there's all these beautiful benefits you can get from just a very, very small intervention. And I realize, you know, not all of us live in great weather. Um, it may be raining. Um, so we're here. We, we only get two hours of daylight <laughs> part of the year. Yeah, but. that's really that's really tough. But in in situations like that, you know, there's also the the alternative. Uh, it's not as effective, but it's a good substitute as a light therapy box that's got yeah. ten thousand lux to use um, in the morning um, in lieu of the sunlight if you can't go outside. But what I like to also suggest to clients is you know, take. I'm a I'm a big fan of habit stacking. So mm-hmm. if you are trying to get your movement in, in the morning, you can also kind of like feed to 
birds with one scone. Is that the saying? It's not, I don't want to say to kill two birds with one stone, but, um, <laughs> but basically you can get your morning sunlight in while you're walking. So like you're right. kind of getting both of those checked off the list. So I, that's just one intervention I would love to kind of leave everyone with because it's very, it's very actionable. It's very attainable for most people and it's really effective. Yeah. Uh, I would argue even more so than, you know, we all got obsessed with blue light blockers and all this stuff is like blocking the junk light. But more than that, we need to go out in the actual <laughs> daylight. Yeah. That's, it, it, and our circadian rhythm, like as you shared, this was new to me. I did have someone come on and talk about, a lot about light therapy, but, you know, it starts in the morning. Like we have to, and we used to go out and work in the daylight. And then we would, and so our, our system was set by that, but we have to be intentional about making that happen because we all live in artificial light most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I think that we now spend like 93% of our time indoors. We're not yeah. wired. We're not wired for that. We're really going against our biology. So the more yeah. we can just kind of get outside and take those like breaks and get some sunlight, we're going to just feel all much better for it and get better sleep. Absolutely. And, you know, for those listening, you all know I live in Alaska. It's 40 below some days. Some days the sun doesn't come up until 11 and it's down by one. But I have learned to, even if I can't get 10 minutes, if I can just like put my face out the door <laughs> in this in this daylight, even if the sun's not out for, you know, one minute, five minutes, like till my nose hair freezes, whatever, it actually makes a big difference in my overall energy and how I'm feeling through the day. So you can do it. No excuses. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what I'm leaving you with. That's a, that's a good pep talk. I love it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, for those listening, how how can they connect with you? Where can we find you? Sure. Uh, my my website is morganadamswellness.com. You can connect me with me there. You could sign up for my snooze letter where I send out some good sleep tips and insights. Uh, you can okay. sign up to have a sleep clarity call with me if you're thinking about maybe getting some sleep coaching if you're trying to solve for a problem. And I'm also pretty active on Instagram. My handle there is morganadams.wellness. So you can find me there. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your journey and your knowledge around sleep. And I know it's a huge topic for a lot of us. So I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Nice to chat with you today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I have a small request. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This is a huge help to us on our quest to reach even more women around the world. Finally, if you're searching for a free community of women on a similar journey to you, I'd like to invite you to join me inside the free Rise community hosted off of social media on Circle. Here you'll find connection with other women in a safe and loving space a weekly book club, live events designed to deepen your inner work journey, and additional resources to support your growth. Visit www.jointherise.co or simply click on the link in the show notes to join me. Until next time, remember to honor and love yourself in each moment. Embrace the challenges life throws at you and continue rising. Rising.